Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 19. John 19 is page 768, if you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible. 768 in the Pew Bible. John chapter 19, we're going to pick up at verse 23. John 19, verse 23 through 27. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. And this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Now near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Let's pray. Father, we come today very solemn as we continue to look at the cross. And Father, I pray that This conversation between Jesus and his mom, his disciple, this might, there are some things here that we can really learn and grasp and grow from. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. How strange, how strange is it that, you know, thousands of people pay thousands of dollars, travel thousands of miles, To a place where a man was crucified on a cross. What is it that draws people to the cross? In 2005, I had the opportunity to travel on a tour with Dallas Seminary. We went to Israel. And I must tell you that I look forward to that day when we would go to Jerusalem. And I could be at the place where Christ died on a cross what is it that draws us to the cross you know on the day that Jesus was crucified people began to gather there were religious leaders there they were there out of just disdain for Jesus Roman soldiers were there they were there out of duty duty to the Roman government but also at the cross, Mary, was, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. Her sister was there. Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene was there. And so was the apostle John. They were there out of devotion to the Lord. You know, we're continuing this series looking at the seven things that Jesus said from the cross. We've looked at the first one. It was a prayer. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He was asking God to forgive really the most egregious sin ever committed in mankind, crucifying the Son of God. And then the thief next to him 
says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus looks over to him and says, I tell you the truth. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. This morning we come to the third thing that Jesus says from the cross. And he's going to speak to his mother, Mary, and to his disciple, John. And as we look at this remarkable conversation between him and his mother and John, we're going to see what it is that really draws people to the cross. We're going to see this morning that, first of all, the cross is a place of compassion. We experience compassion at a level we experience nowhere else. We're going to see that the cross is also a place of, you could say, responsibility or a sense of purpose. It is there that uh, we begin to sense what God has called us to do. And then we're going to look at the cross as a place of salvation. So let's take a look. First of all, the cross is a place of compassion. You know, at this moment, by the time we come to the third statement Jesus makes from the cross, Jesus has been on that cross an hour, maybe two. He's been beaten severely, crowned with thorns, hands, feet, nailed to the cross. He is suffering on a physical level, at a level that most of us, very few people have ever experienced. And on a spiritual level, he is suffering far greater than any person has ever suffered. And yet, get this. And by the way, you would, the natural thing to do would be to think that he would be thinking of himself. And his own pain and his own suffering. And yet, Jesus, his concern is for his mother. And he looks over at his mother and he says, Dear woman, here is your son. Now, she's not, he's not talking about himself. He's referring to, the, to his disciple John. There, John, John is your, John is my choice disciple. He will care for you. He will provide for you from now on. And there's just, to me, there's something infinitely moving that Jesus in the midst of his suffering the pain that he is going through at this moment when really the the salvation of the world is uh, is is hanging here he looks to his mother and has nothing but compassion for her when the weight of the world is on his shoulders he looks over to his mother in this epic moment and says i want you to know that you will be provided and taken care of john is there for you. His concern is for the welfare of his mom. And we, we have to remember, by the way, you know, at this point in time, his mother is a widow. We're confident of that. Joseph, her husband, has passed away. In fact, the last time Joseph is ever mentioned in Scripture is when Jesus was 12 years old. Je Joseph and Mary had taken Jesus to Jerusalem for the Passover. And, you know, they, they would travel in large caravans for these feasts. Sometimes hundreds of people. And when they were leaving, uh, you know, Joseph thought that Jesus was with Mary. And Mary thought jo Jesus was with Joseph. And, and somehow, you know, he got left behind. And, you know, but that's the last time we read of Joseph. In contrast to Mary, who you find mentioned again and again and again. She's there at the wedding feast. Remember the wedding in Cana? She is mentioned time and time again all through Scripture. And here she is about... 50 years of age, and she is at the cross. And Jesus wants her to know, 
that John is going to make sure that she is taken care of in her older age. Now, I want you to notice verse 23. I want you to follow these events with me. In verse 23, John 19, 23, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with his undergarment remaining. The garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. I, you know, I think Mary is, is sort of, it's, um, it, the reality is beginning to hit Mary at this moment. Jesus is going to die on this cross. And as they begin to gamble for this last garment, this seamless garment, and here's the point. Many believe that this garment was actually handmade by Mary herself and given to Jesus as a gift. And when these soldiers touched this seamless garment that she had made for him, they are touching something very dear to her heart. I want you to notice again. Notice verse 24. Let's follow this. What's going on? Let's not tear it, they, the soldiers said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Right there at the foot of the cross are these soldiers, and they are gambling for Jesus' clothing. Now notice verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. She's right there with them. And in this moment, when I believe Jesus sees the heartache on her face, the pain in her eyes, when Jesus sees this, he says to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. You know, Jesus is so sensitive to the needs of others, to the needs of his mom, and to really to our needs. If Jesus is sensitive to her needs as he's suffering on the cross, how much more sensitive is he to our needs, our struggles, our heartache from his throne in heaven? A missionary a number of years ago was working at an orphanage in a rather remote jungle area. And a church that supported him decided they would put together a care package to help out at the orphanage. And so they began boxing up, you know, things like clothing, uh, toiletries like uh, uh, toothbrushes and combs and mirrors, things that would be helpful in the orphanage. And they were boxing them up, getting ready to send to the missionary. Well, on the way home, one of the men who had been working there that day noticed he couldn't find his glasses. He couldn't, where are my glasses? And then it dawned on him. He had put them in his shirt pocket, and he thought, you know what? When I was leaning over, packing some of the boxes, I know what happened. My glasses fell into one of those boxes. Well, they're already at the post office. They're gone. A year later, the missionary is here in the U.S., and he wants to come by the church and thank them for their, their, uh, their generosity and their help. And while he's there sharing with them, he says, I want to thank you for the clothing for the children and all the things you gave. But I especially want to thank you for the glasses that you sent me. He said, do you realize just a day before that, I broke my glasses. And we live in such a remote area of the jungle, it would have been months before I could have ever had another pair made. And I put those glasses on and they were my prescription. 
Now let me ask you something. Jesus knew that man's need, that missionary's need, before he even knew he had a need. Those boxes were in the mail for weeks before they finally arrived. Let me tell you, when the Lord knows our needs, he knows our hurts, he knows the problems we are going through, many times before we even realize we have a problem, he's already on it. Now, let me make certain that we're, I have, I, there's two questions that always rise up when I read this thing. So let me see if we can deal with these two questions. Jesus addresses his mother as woman, dear woman. Now, it almost sounds a little harsh. There are two reasons why I think maybe she might be addressed, that Jesus addresses her in this manner. And I'll give you one now, and I'll give you one in a minute. I think one of the reasons he addresses her as dear woman is because he's protecting her from the angry crowd. Could it be that, uh, you know, if there were some in the crowd, if they realized who this woman was, that this was his mother, could it be that there may be some in that crowd who might take some of their anger out on her? Or maybe disrespect her? Or even take out their anger in a violent way? So I think it's very possible that he is protecting her in that fashion. Now, the other question that always pops up in my mind is, why does Jesus feel it necessary to leave Mary into the care of a disciple, John? Let me explain. Now, let me make it clear. Jesus is the virgin-born Son of God. Clear. But after Jesus is born... Joseph and Mary go on to have other children. In fact, we know that they have at least four boys. And they're listed for us in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 55 and 56. Four boys, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And not, that's not the Judas that betrayed him. It's just Judas was a popular name back then until Judas Iscariot came along. Kind of went downhill after that one. But four boys, minimum. And in that passage, it talks about daughters. Joseph and Mary had daughters, plural. So there are at least two daughters, maybe three or four daughters, maybe five daughters. Jesus grew up in a large family. At least six siblings, maybe seven or eight, maybe ten siblings. And I'm asking myself, why does Jesus feel it necessary to make sure that John takes care of her in her old age with that many brothers and sisters? None of them are at the cross. None of them are at the cross. And do you know why? Because none of them believe in him. Not one of them believes he is the Son of God. Not one of them believes he is the Messiah. In fact, they have been embarrassed with him, about him. Let me give you a verse for that. John chapter 7, verse 5. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. You realize that the Apostle John, I believe John, his disciple, his apostle, was more of a brother to Jesus than his own flesh and blood, so to speak. And that John and Jesus were closer than brothers because John believed in him. John followed him. And he was in many ways closer than his own flesh and blood. And I go back to something Jesus said one time. 
You know, Jesus was teaching in a house, a, a, a house that was just packed out with people. And you couldn't get in or out. And his brothers and sisters came to the house because they wanted to talk to him about this crazy ministry that he had and how embarrassing it was for them and the family. And someone came into the house and said, by the way, you know, Jesus, hey, your brothers and sisters are outside. They want to talk to you. Listen to what he says about that. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? And then he points to the disciples. There, he says, are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, they are my brothers and sisters and mother. I really think that John felt, or Jesus felt that John was more of a brother to him than even his own brothers. Now, let me finish the story. I don't want you to think ill of Jesus' brothers and his sisters because they all become believers. We know that because on the day of Pentecost, there are 120 people who are in the upper room. Remember, that's when the Holy Spirit comes down and they speak in tongues. Mary, his mother, and his brothers are among the 120. Let me read. This is Acts 1.14. They all continued in one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. I'm going to... I'm going to be generous and include the sisters in there too. So what I'm saying is, when you come to the cross, you can't help but to see the compassion of Jesus. Even in his suffering, he looks down and he sees his mother and the anguish, the heartache on her face. And he says to her, woman, dear woman, there is your son. All right, that's first of all. Now, let's look second of all. The second thing, the cross is also a place of purpose, or I call it responsibility. You know, you know, after Jesus is arrested, all the disciples flee. They run, they hide, they desert him. And Jesus told them that, he, that they would. Jesus, on the night that Jesus was to be arrested, here's what he said to them. He said, this very night, you will fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. You know what Peter said to that? When Jesus said, you're all going to run and flee and hide when I get arrested. You know what Peter said? He said, even if all the others fall away, I will never. That's what he said. I'll ne- now, the other disciples, they said nothing. But I'll bet you they were thinking the same thing. I'm not going to desert you. But you know what? They all did. But one disciple, one disciple musters up the courage to come to the cross and stand next to Mary to comfort her, to strengthen her, to be there for her. And, and you know in many ways. she He was more like a son to her. Than her own children were. And Jesus looks over to John. And he says this. Here is your mother. And I think it's because he realized. This disciple of his. Is more of a son to Mary. Than even her own children. Because they are not there. To encourage support. Or comfort her. You know what? Here at the cross, John discovers something. 
He discovers his purpose. He learns this responsibility that he is now given is to be Jesus to Mary. He is to be Jesus' hands, Jesus' feet, Jesus' eyes, his voice. He is to be Jesus to Mary and to be a son to her. <clears throat> what a privilege. In fact, he takes it seriously. Notice at the very end, the last thing that said in verse 27, from that time on, this disciple, John's very humble. He doesn't mention it's me. He says, this disciple took her into his house. You know, if you or I, if we were at the cross that morning, that day, and Jesus looked down upon us and said, and gave us a response, would you take care of my mother? If Jesus looked at us and said, behold, your mother. I, th I would like to think that I would, and I'm sure you would like to think, that we would accept that responsibility. That we would be eager to say, yes, Lord, I will take that responsibility. And some of us here this morning have accepted that responsibility. Oh, well, not for Mary. But the, you, you have heard the Lord's voice. And he said to you, I cannot be at the beach club. So I want you to go instead. And some of you have accepted that responsibility. And I thank God for that. A couple of weeks ago, uh, they were shorthanded. And Poppy asked, would I come and help out? And I was there with the fifth graders, with Herb. And uh, the lesson that morning, that day, after school at McKenzie Elementary, the lesson was on David and Goliath. And, you know, and the Herb's talking about, you know, Goliath is 10 feet tall. And we're, I'm, we're, we're with the fifth graders. Goliath, he's like 10 feet tall. He's this big guy with the big, big spear. And I asked the students, and I think we had 10 or so in our group. I said, how many of you have heard the story of David and Goliath? Three out of the 10. The other seven had never heard the story of David and Goliath. And I thought, you know, what a privilege to be Jesus to these students. Some of you have answered, the, Jesus has spoken and you've heard him, his voice say, I cannot be there at Awana's on Wednesday. I want you to go. And you've answered that call. You've accepted that responsibility. Some of you have heard the, the Lord's voice and he said to you, I cannot be on the diaconate. I want you to go in my place. And you have accepted that responsibility. Some of you have heard the Lord's voice. He has spoken to you. He has said, I cannot be an elder. I want you to go in my place. And you have accepted that responsibility. Some of you have heard the Lord's voice, the Lord's voice, and he has said to you, I cannot be in the music ministry. I can't sing. I can't play an instrument. I want you to go in my place. And some of you have said, Lord, I accept that responsibility. God bless you for that. You know, I think the greatest privilege that you or I ever receive is the privilege of being Jesus and taking the place of Jesus. Well, by the way, you know what responsibility is when we talk about responsibility? Responsibility is nothing more than our response to God's ability. 
We say, well, I can't really do that. Well, you know what? Responsibility is nothing more than our response to God's ability. But you know, one of the great weaknesses of the evangelical church here in America, around the world, one of the great weaknesses of the church today is that some Christians are simply not close enough to the cross that they hear the Lord's voice and they have no idea what responsibility he wants them to take up. They have no idea what their purpose is. In fact, they just drift through life and they're always wondering, what is my purpose in life? Why am I here? Why did God put me at this, at this place in history and at this time in history? And they just sort of drift through life. We are drawn to the cross because at the cross we find our purpose. We find that responsibility that gives us purpose. The cross is a place of purpose, a place of compassion. One more thing. It's also a place of salvation. Number three, it is a place of salvation. You know, Jesus, he is, uh, he's addressing his mother. And he says to his mother, uh, dear woman, here is your son. Now, here's another reason why I think Jesus addresses her as dear woman. She is his mother. She is always related to him as his mother. At this moment in history, their relationship is going to shift. It's got to change. She will always be his mother, that's true. But from this point on, she must now relate to Jesus as her Savior. And by the way, she knew this moment was coming. She's known it since before he was born. Remember the angel Gabriel came to her when she was, what, 16, 17 years old, and she was engaged to Joseph? And the angel Gabriel tells her, you're going to be with child. You're going to give birth to a son. You're going to give him the name Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. And then here's what the angel says to, to Joseph. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son. You'll give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. They have known all along that Jesus is the Savior. But up to this moment, she's always related to him as her son. But Jesus says there's now, there must now be a shift. Mary, I am your Savior. Dear woman, dear woman. You know, as she watches her son die on that cross, she knows. In the back of her mind, she remembers those words from the angel. Jesus is her Savior. In fact, you know, she goes on to write a song. It's called The Magnificent. Let me read one line out of that. In fact, it's up here on the, on the PowerPoint. Here's what Mary writes. My soul, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She knew it. She understands. Jesus is her Savior. She understands she is a sinner. She understands she needs a Savior. And you know what? If Mary, if the Virgin Mary, if she needs a Savior, I think we all need a Savior. <laughs> because we're all sinners. 
Jesus came to save sinners. He is a Savior. The world needs a Savior. In fact, you know, Jesus is the only Savior in the world who if you follow him, he will satisfy you. And if you fail him, he will forgive you. Think about that. He's the Savior the world needs. You know, he was a Savior to the thief. And he is a Savior to his mother, the Virgin Mary. He is a Savior to the worst of sinners. He's a Savior to the best of sinners. Because we're all sinners. Some of us are, are good sinners. Some of us are just bad sinners. But we're all sinners just the same. And as I was looking at this whole, whole scenario, the third words from Jesus, I was thinking to myself, you know, this is amazing how much Jesus has accomplished in such a short amount of time. You didn't realize already on the cross, he has forgiven those who have committed the most egregious sin ever committed in mankind's history. They have crucified the Son of God and Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He has forgiven them and then he has led a lost soul to salvation. He looks over at the thief and says, today, I tell you the truth, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And now he has provided for his mother in his mother's care for the rest of her life. I mean, Jesus seems to accomplish more in an hour or two on the cross than I ever accomplished in a week sometimes. He's the Savior we all need. So what is it that draws us to the cross? The cross is a place of compassion. Never will we receive more compassion than we are close to Jesus. It's a place of purpose, a place where we find our responsibility. Why we're here on this earth is also a place of salvation. You know, every Sunday morning, we come to the Lord's table. We partake of the bread, which represents the body of Christ that was nailed to a cross. We partake of the cup representing the blood that Jesus shed for our sins. So as we partake of the bread and we drink of the cup, we do this as Jesus said. Remember what he said? In remembrance of me. This is our opportunity every Sunday morning to draw as close to the Lord Jesus as we can get. The challenge, of course, is to leave here and be as close as we can get through the week. Through prayer, meditating on scripture, and following his ways. That's the challenge. And so the challenge I think for us today is to make sure we stay close to Jesus. And stay close to the cross all through the week. So here's what I want us to take home today. Why are we drawn to the cross? Here's our take home truth. We are drawn to the cross because the cross is a place of compassion, purpose, and salvation. And my prayer is that if you've never experienced salvation in Jesus Christ, today you will put your trust in him. You will find your purpose in life. You'll have all those questions answered. Why am I here? Why did God put me on this earth? Come to Jesus. Find that purpose. Discover that salvation he has for you. It'll change your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
We are thankful for the words that you, that Christ spoke from the cross. These powerful exchange that he has with his mother and with John. They are so meaningful for us today. And I pray that we will ingest them and take them with us. And Father, if there's someone here today who has yet to put their trust in Christ, I pray that today is that day of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.